0: That's right, Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. chumbacasinocom No purchase necessary. provided by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: I said, what you know about it? It's the stool, baby. Got that mise place. Yeah,
1: baby. And oh. the room a lot. You're listening to The Stew. My name is Jason Stewart, and this is my food podcast. Say hello, Andre Conaparo. Hello. My brother is not here. R.I.P. R.I.P., Stewie. If you're wondering why I'm rushing through this intro, it's because we just recorded two minutes without (laughs) audio of our special guest today, who is Andy Windack. Say hello. Hello. We are just going over some great things that we can go over again right now because I messed up. I'm sorry about that. Um... (laughs) But uh, Andy is known for doing a pop-up called the Coconut Club, which is a really awesome special tiki-themed pop-up in L.A. that's very popular.
0: Multiple courses with pairings of cocktails. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, pineapples. Yeah. The list goes on.
1: We're going to talk all about that as well, but you're also known for, uh, you've done some appearances on a podcast called... Uh, Dining with Doug and Karen
3: Yes, it's Doug Benson's food podcast And most people will probably say Doug Benson has a food podcast (laughs) Hey, Andy's a pro (laughs) Um,
1: And we want to talk about that as well In one second And you also do uh, some catering And and some private chefing And you've appeared on Vice Munchies With TJ Miller from from Silicon Valley And Stand
3: Up Abroad And many other things I mean, Transformers 4, come on Oh Boom. yeah, Transformers
1: Four. <laughs> all right. Well, first shout things, out Michael Bay. Let's uh, let's talk about the podcast with Dining and Doug and Karen first. So that that's Doug Benson, who's like a uh, fairly well known comedian who's known for smoking pot and doing stuff. Mm-hmm. He has a show called Getting Doug with
3: High. And then he's most famous for his uh, his well, podcast. You were um, all
1: pro until your cell phone beeps. I know. <laughs> just I just Failed. Failed. <laughs>
3: um, his uh, Doug Loves Movies podcast. And Doug Loves yeah. Yeah. Movies is very big. Yeah, and very he's big done deal. a couple like
1: documentary things on. Super Jaime. Mm-hmm. Super Jaime. You know, Doug Benson, he's a real love him or hate him guy. I think mm. he's funny, but I, a lot of people are just like, what is going on with this guy? <laughs> very, a, st-
0: very stony. He's very, very. stony. Very, yes. Mm-hmm. But he's a smart guy. Definitely.
3: Or is he? Uh, Let's take a peek behind the curtain. I mean, every time I've interacted with him, he's been stoned, so I can't <laughs> really say. So so they
1: have a thing where they record a podcast, get stoned, and you cook food for them?
3: Yeah, so they have like a comedian guest come on, and then they also have a chef guest come on, and the mm-hmm. chef makes food. And while the chef's off making food, the comedian guest and Doug and Karen just chit chat, mm-hmm. and it's also a way for him to further plug his brand and his tour dates and his yeah. Mm-hmm. There, mm-hmm. of course, that's why that's can, why we do pods. Can exactly. we
0: start including uh, guest chefs coming on and cooking food for us we, while we podcast?
1: We can try to work. I mean, we we have one. Well, here's
3: the problem: a lot of people hate it when there's food eating noises on yes. a podcast. And Always hate there's it. There's a lot of criticism for that because I'm dining with Doug and Karen, like. That's what they do. They eat the food live. You hear the (coughs) clinking with the fork. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as much as you can try to turn away from the microphone, you inevitably forget. And it's chewing noises that nobody really wants to hear. And when
1: you're super high, it really intensifies that that annoyance. I'm sure, yeah. So...
3: It's also very interesting because they do the recording most often at um, the Nerd Melt Studios at Meltdown Comics in West Hollywood. They have a great kitchen facility there, I'm sure. Yeah, fantastic. It's actually a a it used to be a Michelin star kitchen and (laughs) (laughs) blue
1: star eight
0: burner range.
1: Yeah. Now they have a Michelin rated microwave. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) and
3: a refrigerator in the green room, Mm -hmm. and there's a sink you can use that's in the staff bathroom. Um, So can you can imagine the kinds of foods that you can achieve is a little bit challenging. So, oddly
1: enough, no cooking involved whatsoever. <laughs>
3: it's opening of Dorito bags. Well.
0: <laughs> these are the best Doritos. But the last time I was on the
3: podcast, the first course I brought out was a bag of Christmas Haribo gold bears that were the red and green color only. And I said, like, I want to try these with you because I want to see if they're special flavored or if they're just like sure. regular red and green Haribo. And it was the latter, sadly. Mm, but, or hoping, not, sadly, because they're the best gummy bears. But, you're
1: hoping for like a cranberry and missile toe combination yeah something like that you know those are delicious gummies though i
3: had
1: um, some this weekend wild high
3: so I, 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 I buy them by the 10 pound or not 10 pound but three pound bag you know the, the big huge one, one for yeah. sure. three pound haribo bag no. yeah well let's well, you keep your slim figure <laughs> <laughs> it's actually one of the things we serve at the coconut club is the clear haribo gold bear i love the clear best by it's by the, best the best one best which How is supposedly best. allegedly pineapple which is why I serve it. I'll buy, it. That. Yeah, I'll I, buy I, that.
1: Yeah, that makes sense to me. Sure. Actually, two days ago, my friend threw a clear Haribo gummy at me, and I took a picture of it, and it registered on film on a white, on a white background, and I was very proud of myself. It's phenomenal photography. It's a bad uh, segue, but we'll carry on. I have a question about that. When you, when you make food for that podcast, do you have to pay for the food yourself?
3: Uh, Yes, there's only been one appearance where Doug reimbursed me. I asked from the very beginning, it's like, hi, does Nerdist have a stipend for the food ingredients? And they're like, no. So the first time I thought it was going to be like this great... Publicity outlet. I was gonna get a billion new Twitter followers. <laughs> it was gonna be amazing. So I was right. like, I'm gonna go all out. Worth it. I like paid over a hundred dollars to have um antelope short ribs flown in from Texas. What? Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> uh, I was like, cause I one of the things I made was the Jackalope Taco. So it was wow. a bacon fat flour tortilla. With a braised rabbit pate, jack cheese for the jack. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Then a bacon fat deep fried crispy corn shell. You need know, to glue the soft one on the outside.
1: Like a double decker taco? Yeah,
3: like uh whatever they call it a taco bell, you know. Double decker taco. Yeah, yeah. So uh um, holy shit. And I'm then in the uh beer braised, antelope short rib in the inside, and um green zebra tomato and a rabbit bacon yellow peach hot sauce. <laughs> holy shit. Alright, I have a few more. And questions the next episode this. they got a bag of Twizzlers. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. then I was like, oh shit, I just spent a ton of money. And I got like 15 new Twitter followers. Mm. And I was like, eh,
1: what? Hey, fool you once.
3: Yeah, shame, shame on, on me. me. Well, first off, how big is a antelope short rib? Um, I mean, they're not that big. I can't even remember. I'm, 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 I'm years, not assuming that you know, they are big. Yeah, they're, they're not like pork.
1: I mean, ass. I want them to be like tiny. Like,
3: they're, I want, they're like that, yeah. They're like three inches. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then you had them flown in. Yeah. How do they taste?
3: Uh, you know, there. I mean, it's like any other venison. It's a little bit gamey. Um, it's a little bit tougher when you cook it. You gotta like cook it a lot longer than. Some okay. Other ones.
1: And for deep frying something in bacon fat, did you buy bacon fat already, or did you make the bacon fat by rendering it yourself?
3: Uh, it was all rendered out. So here's the thing. We should back up to the the origin story of all of this. Rewind. Yeah. So um, I. The use- birth of iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I met Steve Jobs. <laughs> Did Steve Jobs invent the podcast? <laughs> Who invented the podcast? We I don't, don't know. talk about that. <laughs> Another time. So I used to work at this animation studio called Shadow Machine, oh, yeah. which used to produce uh Seth Green's show for Adult Swim, Robot Chicken, yeah. among other things. Mm-hmm. And I emphasize used to because I don't anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I was working in post production, I was a compositor and after the end of season five a robot, um, we were starting this new project that was an indie, an independently financed R-rated stop-motion comedy animation film, which you're like, okay, mm-hmm. I'll, see, I'll pay to see that. Is my answer, but yeah, how does that possibly happen? Yeah, like a South Park kind of thing. Yeah, but not based on an existing property, so. Okay. Kind of a hard sell, and Seth Green's not involved at all, so like it's not from the creator of Robot Chicken or anything mm-hmm. like that. So If Seth Green's not involved, good luck getting it yeah. sold in this town. <laughs> this is a very interesting project on multiple levels, because it was a production that started without a script and finished without a completed script. <laughs> Don't ask how or why, um, <laughs> but on this project, my bosses came to me one day and said, hey, we want to build a kitchen, we want to have lunch service for the crew. We want you to run it, and I was like, "Oh, well, this sounds like a dream job. Let's do it." So we built this kitchen, and I did lunch service, um, and of course, on the production line, uh, I was not built as a chef. I was built as a technical supervisor, but mm. I was primarily cooking lunch and shit for people. Um, and you know, it started with like having fancy coffee, and then like you know, fancy lunches and snacks sure. in the afternoon, all that good stuff. So through that is actually how I met T.J. Miller, because he did one of the voices on the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, then went and did the Doug with, Dining with Doug and Karen. This um, is the
0: other partner of the Coconut Club. What? Oh, wait, no, no, no.
3: no, no. Mm. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. T.J. <laughs> got it. Yeah. yeah. The comedian. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that was sort of how that all got started. Now I can't even remember why I rewound, because <laughs> we were supposed to point out something. We're talking
1: about when when you do the Doug Benson podcast, how you have to buy all of your own food.
3: Yeah, and then
1: you spend a lot of money on antelope. Short. Right. I mean, maybe you're talking about how you got plugged in to doing that podcast.
3: Yeah, I guess so. Well, that's how. Story's well, but over. So, um, you, but
1: so what kept you coming back to do if you've done that show? You said six different times now. Um,
3: well, the second time, Doug was like, okay, who do you want me to get as your guest? And I think my first response was, because this was me trying to get, because like, when I first met TJ, I made lunch for him because he was there doing voice records. And he hired me on the spot to come cook dinner for him and his girlfriend that night.
2: Really?
1: Whoa!
3: So he was like, hey, what are you doing tonight? And I'm like, uh, I don't know, laundry? And he's like, no, nope. you're going <laughs> to come to my house and you're going to cook dinner for me and my girlfriend. And I was like, okay. And everyone, of course, at the office was all joking, like, haha, you're going to show up, it's going to be him in a blow-up doll. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I, like, you know, quickly put together a menu, like, go shopping, prep some stuff, and, like, show up at his apartment. I, like, get up to the front his door, like, knock on the door, And he answers the door in these super short shorts and, like, a leather police vest and nothing else. Whoa. But then he... And my face apparently just, like, dropped, and there was, like, I only cook dinner kind of reaction. Um, (laughs) But then he he immediately was like, ha-ha, just joking. This isn't what I'm going to wear. I just wanted to see what your reaction was. Wow. Um, Classic TJ. Classic TJ. And, you know, it was all fine and dandy after that. Um, But, yeah, anyways... So afterwards, when Doug was like, "Oh, who do you want me to get for your next guest?" and I was like, "Huh? Well, this is the Nerdist Network. They have a lot of connections. I know John Ham was just on the Nerdist podcast, mm. so I was like, John Ham. I want mm. a new celebrity client. Come on, <laughs> shooting for the top, shoot for the stars." Yeah. And and then I was like, "Well, if I had some backups, I was thinking like, what are the other people that like um, that Doug might know?" And I said like Tim Heidecker offhandedly because I am a fan of Tim and Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I ended up with. So I was like, "Okay, it's not John Hamm, so no Ham." So no ham. Um, very close though. Very close. Close
1: second. <laughs> hey, if Ham opened the door with the with the leather police vests, might go down a little different. Probably. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so uh, yeah, and then the third time was Sarah Silverman, and everyone told me that cool. she was strict vegan. So I made a completely vegan meal, and then learned after the fact that she's just a vegetarian.
2: Uh...
3: <laughs> um, and yeah, and then. We did. When, when you're on the show, do
1: you get to be on mic and talk to people as well? Yeah.
3: So I mean, like I go in and out to go prep the food, mm-hmm. and then I come back on, and we. So talk So you come about back, it. you drop some, drop some salads,
1: and then you whip a couple zingers on the mic, and back into the kitchen you go. Yeah. And everyone's like, I love that
3: guy, Andy. He's so good. Pretty much. That's pretty <laughs> much exactly. What and
1: how? Ha- <laughs> and and has that boosted your? It, has that been good publicity for you?
3: I mean, I've gotten like one client out of it. Someone who was like, hey, I heard you on the podcast. Can you come cook dinner for my girlfriend's birthday? <laughs> Not bad. That's one. Yeah. All right. We so you, put so a do it. on the board. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, so you
1: do a decent amount of private catering and stuff like that?
3: Yeah. I've had one gig this week, and I have another one on Saturday. So it's busy. And then next week, we have Coconut Club. So mm. it's like. So is that your main cut. gig then? Uh yeah, for the most part, Full-time I do some chef-in? other random stuff. Uh like I work for a sock company that makes socks with words on them. Like the best seller is bacon, followed by beer. Okay. Uh, so I do design mockups um in Illustrator and then they get okay. sent to a manufacturer and then the manufacturer fucks them up and then I have to correct them and send notes mm-hmm. them be Like, why did you do this wrong, China? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the uh the breakdown from from illustrator
1: file to sock there's a lot of gray area in. Between. Yeah, there
3: is because they won't tell you how they set up the file that communicates with the weaving machine. Yeah. it's like, can you just give me that so I can program it myself mm-hmm. instead of giving you an Illustrator file and having you translate that? Give waffly. me the
1: we- give me dot weave file. Yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> I want to punch in those like matrix of yarn yeah. manually. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, it sounds so much fun. No, it doesn't at all. <laughs> <laughs> Over
1: time. So, so you're a little jack-of-all-trades, but it seems like we're going in the direction of full-time chefing. But you have no interest in working in a restaurant? Um, or do you like the freelance lifestyle? You
3: know, I mean, I think the freelance lifestyle is potentially more fun, in a way. It has its perks and its drawbacks. Way more fun yeah
1: it has it has perks and drawbacks yeah yeah
3: for sure i mean it's definitely inconsistent you don't know what's it's going inconsistent to but
1: you don't have to work 18 hours a day exactly and then your wife leaves you and your kids <laughs> hate you and stuff like that exactly. classic chef story yeah classic <laughs> from the film chef
0: from
3: the film
1: Chef. <laughs> check it out yeah but you have the uh, the phone might not ring and you have no money but then when it does ring you're flying high yeah, and everyone's like, "Great job, Andy! You killed it!" <laughs>
3: and you get to do your own thing, slash, be your own boss. But uh, yeah. I mean, trying to like plug this in with the pop up thing because obviously it would be very hard to work in a restaurant full time and also do a pop up restaurant because, yeah. like, it would be impossible. Probably impossible. It, impossible. impossible. Yeah. yeah, depending I mean, on how
1: busy the restaurant is that you work in, the last thing you want to do is a pop up.
3: Yeah, for sure, and or plus, or even look at food. Exactly, <laughs> and I think I've had this idea of wanting to do a pop up for like a number of years, and especially doing the food service at the studio and what we call the cantina. Um, hmm. And I wanted to do it there. Did we
1: call it that, or did you call it that? I call it that. Okay. We're, we're like, we're gonna call
3: it the cantina, um, which is great. It's great, and uh, it was a really cool space. I mean, like every Friday, we'd have a party at the end of the day called Weeklies, where you watch. It's like dailies in regular filmmaking, but weeklies in animation because mm. it takes forever and you only get like five minutes a week. Um, so you we have a party, you get beer, we, have like, we did like a different theme of food every week and, you know, watch the weeklies. Um, so the space was great. I wanted to do a pop up there. The owners of the company were like, because like there's a lot. I mean, it's it's hard to bring people into a building full of intellectual property. Even though we were able to lock the doors off from the studio to the cantina, Um, but I did let them have, let me have my 25th birthday party in the cantina, um, which was a 25 taste meal for 25 people. That was the concept.
1: 25 taste meal?
3: Yeah, so like some of the stuff with drinks and some of the stuff with food. It wasn't, I wanted, I wanted to say 25 courses because that sounds like right. absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is. Yeah, but I wanted it to be like 25 things that you get to like taste. And the placemat was actually like, an illustrated game board with 25 spaces
1: oh my god
3: um, and everyone got a pencil so they could write notes in on the game board spaces about each thing this is cooler it. than anything
0: uh, I've ever done in my life
1: yeah you're you I mean you're like a special person
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. thank you <laughs> yeah no no in a, in a in a literal way you are this is you're going above and beyond what anybody I know would do which is awesome
3: you know what the problem with it is, though? When you constantly try to go above and beyond, you feel like you have to right? perpetually. And then you're always trying to top yourself, and then it mm-hmm. becomes perpetually harder.
1: And then you're known as the guy who, like, what is he going to do this time? He's, exactly. He's, yeah, once, once your first appearance on the podcast is we're flying in antelope shore ribs, and we're doing right. and whatever... That wasn't even for your birthday. The taco <laughs> that you just described is, like, the most... In- insane thing I've ever heard of, and that's just what you start off with. Mm-hmm. So, where do you go from there?
3: Exactly, that's the problem. And then, like mini like, golf and torrents for your 40th. Maybe like, you,
1: you and you Tiger Woods should hang out. Commiserate.
3: <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, that's the problem, is always trying to like reinvent. So, I mean, the pod, the uh, the pop up, not the podcast, mm-hmm. has been sort of like the ultimate culmination of that. And here's the thing about the tiki rapper of it. It's very interesting because... Tiki rapper? Well, the rapper of it, of the Coconut Club, is this tiki theme. Okay. And it's kind of a good thing yeah. and a bad thing. I don't consider myself a tiki-file, even though I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt right now.
1: Or at least he's wearing yellow pants and, and a Hawaiian shirt right now. Um, a yellow t-shirt but, but other
0: than that, not tiki.
1: Yeah. Well, Ian McKay up top, tiki, <laughs> tiki down
3: low. <laughs> Out of step up top, very
0: colorful on the bottom.
3: Mm-hmm. Um. So, I think there's this thing about, like, what do you think about when you think about, I say tiki, what do you think?
0: A scorpion bowl?
3: Yeah.
0: You know, like, flaming... Well, flaming I, I grew up in Orange East County, Island. so tiki was pretty
1: big there. It's, it's kind of like when you're a retired guy, and you mm-hmm. have a big belly, mm-hmm. and you want to barbecue, and mm-hmm. drink beer, and have Mai Tais, and... That's kind, of, And then you might have a cool car with flames on it. Mm-hmm. There's little statues with a little cute tiki
3: man. See, so yeah, that, that is like the perception of what you have when you think tiki. Mm-hmm. And that's not what I'm trying to do. And we have some people who come into the Coconut Club who are really hardcore rockabilly tiki. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they think that this is what it's going to be.
1: Which is a very insane subculture. Oh, it's The, the tiki very subculture intense. is super intense.
3: Like, yeah, and I understand and appreciate it. I'm coming from sort of the aesthetic of the whimsicalness of it Mm. um, and also sort of the fact that in mid-century America, this was a form of fine dining or, like, a night out on the town. And also in Los Angeles, which is sort of, like, the birthplace of this culture originally, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, these were the hot spots. These were, like... You know, Mm -hmm. Donna Beachcomber, like a huge Hollywood spot. Like, there were many others over the years. You go get a
1: poo-poo platter, you you have a nice
3: dame on your shoulder. And these fancy cocktails that had, like, you know, seven-plus ingredients, which is crazy to think about all the other classic cocktails that we Mm -hmm. think of that are only, like, you know, two to four ingredients. Not so Um, crazy
1: now, in 1960...
3: Yeah, it was a revelation. Ridiculous. Um, so it's I, I'm coming from that approach, which I think is very interesting, and then also trying to modernize it because it seems like that hardcore tiki culture is so stuck in like a past time and place, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is like reminiscence and like you know, like you said, old guys they're trying to recapture a like nostalgic, a nostalgic rut. Yeah, so it's very much trying to think about like, how we could project the idea of tiki into the 21st century, which Mm -hmm. is a huge challenge because you have all these expectations that exist. But then at the same time, because tiki is such a huge reappropriation of all these different cultures, like, you know, obviously South Pacific, um, and then this weird, like, Chinese thing for no reason. And the most interesting part, I think, is... Guys who wear fezes in tiki culture. Oh yeah. Where did that come from? (laughs) (laughs) Like the monkey with
0: the fez on it. Yeah, like like, on shelves. There's like all this
3: like weird like reappropriation, and then of course there's the whole like mid century thing because of like Hawaii and like this obsession with the South Pacific because of Hawaii becoming a state. Mm -hmm. Like there's all these different facets, and to me that says like. In this postmodern era, tiki can be whatever the hell you want it to be because it's all about reappropriating culture and creating an escapist fantasy.
1: Yeah, That's so, uh, that seems like a good idea
3: in your head, but a tough sell. It is a tough sell because tiki also has this really strong low-brow connotation uh, to a lot of people because when you think about tiki drinks, you think, okay, they're really sugary, they're really sweet, like right. juice and rum kind of thing. It's kitsch. Yeah, it's kitsch. And I love kitsch. Yeah. Um and then you think about the food and you're like, oh, it's a poo-poo platter that's not very good, right. sadly. Right. Um so like how do you move beyond that but still sort of honor mm-hmm. that is a huge challenge. Um so I think this is definitely like that ultimate culmination of like how do I one-up myself is by creating a challenge that's seemingly so challenging That I'll always have to be working at it to make it better and better.
1: Yeah, it seems like a good. It's it's good to create things under that umbrella because you you can do whatever you want, but you also have the limitations and restrictions of having it be a a very specific tiki theme. So it's not just like hey, make a dish, and you're like "Eh," with a blank sheet of paper. I feel like hey, make a make a tiki dish with your own flavor.
3: Exactly, which is the 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 hard part because like. I mean my favorite type of food to make just for myself in general in life is like Mediterranean Italian food. Like that's just what I love to eat. Okay. And I I mean I guess you could also just classify that as like Californian food, which is, you know, mm-hmm. very produce heavy. Mm-hmm. It seems to have like really strong Mediterranean sort of like influence. Mm-hmm. It's very like European, but then of course you also have all this like Asian shit that gets thrown in there too. But in any case, like I wanted to do a pop up that had more of a definition than just "here's food," mm-hmm. right? Um, and no offense to anyone else who's doing a pop up, but I feel like when you throw out words like "farm to table," I've heard that so many times now that it kind of is a negative connotation to me at this point. <laughs> where I'm like, "Farm to table, yeah, whatever. Like, don't tell me that. That should be implied in all the food I'm eating. Like, yes. that's how I feel. If you're going to do an expensive dinner, like to a certain extent, and I know that like from doing this now that it's not always feasible to say like we're a hundred percent farm to table or a hundred percent organic or whatever mm-hmm. um, but I don't think farm to table should be necessarily a genre. Something here. to
1: hang your hat on.
3: Yeah, yeah. like uh, like Wolfgang Puck he's at the
1: Santa Monica farmers market fairly often and like he would never say like I have a farm to table restaurant. It's just exactly. like yeah, it's you're kind of above that. <laughs> if, if you have a uh, an expensive restaurant that is good it's implied that you're using good those stuff. quality ingredients. Yeah. So, Otherwise, it's a rip. Oh. Exactly. Well,
0: also, if it's mentioned in the <clears throat> in the trying to qualify or, or advertise the restaurant, it means they're probably hanging their
3: hat on that and not going past it, right? Yeah. Do you really I, agree. I mean, because there's certain, there's a lot of places that seem like you know have the good ingredients, but they're not really like innovating them enough to make them like their. <clears throat> yeah, own there's thing. a lot of
1: there's a lot of places that just we have the best produce, so instead of cooking a dish with all of these things together in a smart way, we're gonna tweezer them onto a plate mm-hmm. because like, how, cause they let them speak for themselves, and then you're not really, you know, anyone can just put them on a plate. Yeah. Then you're not a chef, you're an, you're an
3: artiste. It's funny about the thing about the tweezers because I just bought a pair. Oh, <laughs> how <laughs> how <laughs> well, how does it feel? How long are you holding you know, out for? I well, it's weird because I kept thinking about it. I was like, "Yeah, that's one of those things that's relatively inexpensive that you should just get," you know, Mm because there's certain times that you're like fumbling around. I have big hands, so it's like you're fumbling around with little things. And and I just tried them out for the first time the other night, and I think I need some more practice because I was kind of clunky with them.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, Mm. you can't expect just to dive right into a tweezer lifestyle, man.
3: No, I know it takes a while. But that's the thing too with like doing the Coconut Club is like. Where do you draw the line of like, I mean, I want it to be highbrow, lowbrow, but how much highbrow and how much lowbrow? Sure. So it's like, I feel like I need the tweezers, but then I also need the Haribo gummy bear because... (laughs) Or well, you, you can need Bacardi 151
0: to set everything on fire. <laughs> oh, you know itself? what? We
3: actually don't use Bacardi 151. We use Ray and nephew overproof for white rum, which ah. is tasty. Bacardi 151 mm. tastes like light, lighter fluid. Yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah. And if it like spills into your drink, it like ruins your drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, the interesting thing about everything we've done thus far with the Coconut Club is there's been no drinks on fire, only food.
0: Oh, so we do, don't know what's, what's happening. That's by, like, with pairing.
3: That's my like, playing on the convention. It's like, everyone has a flaming tiki drink. Like, I want a flaming tiki food. What, have, what, what is the food that you have flamed? Well, the one that we've been doing a lot, which we're actually not doing this next time, is the volcano cake. And I basically engineered a volcano cake that not only has fire on top, and then you hit it with the cinnamon to make sparks, but it also has a lava flow. Oh. Yes. So it's, it's got red lava coming out of it. As the uh, fire burns. That's fantastic.
1: (laughs) Okay, when is the next Coconut Club, by the way?
3: Um, It's actually a week from Saturday, so I've got a lot of work to do. The 24th and 25th? 25th and 26th, yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, Well, one thing about, do you guys do it monthly or bi-monthly?
3: I mean, approximately monthly. It's always, um, I mean, it's so exhausting that, like, as soon as it's done, it's like, crap. <laughs> as soon as it's done, you
1: don't want to think about anything like ever, that for a few days?
3: and then like, it's a matter of like getting <clears throat> it organized again. And the hardest part um, is locking down a venue, which is a huge challenge. Is it different every time? Um, we've only been at about three different venues, and this is, I think, going to be our 11th and 12th nights we've done ever. Um, we did about seven nights last year and four so far this year. That's good. Um, So um, the venue we're at right now is very interesting because it actually used to be a tropical restaurant in the 50s um, called Vagabond's House. And I kind of accidentally came upon this space before knowing this fact. I didn't actually seek it out. It just serendipitously happened. Mm -hmm. Um, The Tiki Gods. The Tiki Gods smiled upon it. And most recently, this space was La Fonda Mariachi Club, um, in the Macarthur Park neighborhood, it's on Wilshire. This um, is a good pedigree. Whoa. Yeah, so I've never actually been to La Fonda. Nathan had gone there and dined. Um,
1: La Fonda is a great name.
3: Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it was just. It's just this huge space. Um, it apparently has a liquor license that's grandfathered in that you can't get this license anymore. Only a few other places in LA has it where you can stay open all night. You have to stop serving it too, but you can stay open all night. Um, and then come back on and start serving at six. I don't know. I don't know all the details. Okay. So we're not trying to do that. So you order, <laughs> you just
0: order fifty-two beers at one fifty-five. <laughs> yeah, and then
3: just keep on partying. <laughs> um, but it's if you're familiar with like Macarthur Park, it's. Very very transitional neighborhood like people talk about a yeah, way what a kind
0: just, word from a neighborhood I mean, it's do you mean weird, like I'm transitioning from being shot for at for going listeners to my at home car? no es bueno <laughs> yeah. uh,
3: it's the weird missing link of gentrification between Koreatown and downtown <clears throat> But I mean, everyone likes to use. That's where you go. Yeah, everyone likes to use the word "good bones" because Macarthur Park, theoretically, (laughs) is beautiful and is full of great architecture. It's got good bones. (laughs) Good bones. (laughs) Is it a 92 Camry?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've never. I guess I've never heard people really describing this neighborhood that much. This is the neighborhood where like Langers is. Yeah, exactly. And there's a big park called Macarthur Park that may or may not have been the scene of a lot of movies. I think Drive, the movie Drive, was filmed yeah, a lot it's there. Been, but it's also very
0: iconic to L.A., but also to like, dangerous dude. to people. <laughs> it's in like
3: before they fixed up Echo Park Lake. Yes. There's a lake yeah. in MacArthur Park as well, but mm-hmm. like you don't want to go hang out there. No. Yeah, Echo Park, not very good bounce. Um, so in any case, this building is really interesting because it was bought last year by Genji Cohen, who is the creator of Orange's New Black and Weeds. Yeah. And she's putting, she's remodeling the upstairs and the back of the building right now for her production offices. Hmm, okay. Um, so I mean, there's promise. Cantina of like, too. Cantina. Well, who knows? Mm. That would be awesome. But they're trying to lease out the restaurant. And in the interim, I've come in to do this weird pop up there. Yeah. Um, and you know, it doesn't look great, the space, <laughs> right. it's seen better days, but it's very interesting because the back half is still the exact same shape as when it was Vagabond's house, um, the tropical restaurant in the 50s, mm-hmm. it's the exact same shape, I have the vintage photos you could, that had all the decorations on it, and the best part is, I found this room that was f- like a graveyard of broken furniture, like just a mountain of broken chairs. Mm-hmm. And I ignored it at first, and then I saw that the original wallpaper from Vagabond's house was still intact in this room, and I found a vintage photo that proved that it was a private dining room. Oh. Um, so I ended up dragging all the broken furniture out of the room, Dude, and I hookers. swear this room is haunted <laughs> because every time, and this I'm like, this is me doing this by myself in this giant, dark, haunted building by myself. Every time you'd go into this old room, you could feel the energy change, and when you'd go out again, it would feel completely different. And I'm, you know, like, nothing, like, too spooky, but Mm -hmm. you could definitely, like, feel sort of a presence to it. Um, So at the last Coconut Club, we had a tiki seance in this room. Really? To conjure Vagabond's Ghost, which was a cocktail. Of, uh, it was like a coconut milk, pineapple juice, lime juice, pig's rum, blood. pig's blood, and uh, no uh, <laughs> cava. So it's like a light effervescent pina colada, oh, essentially. Wow. Um,
1: That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, you guys are always killing it. Yeah. Minus the pig's blood. That sounds amazing. yeah.
3: So uh, and I think there was even like uh, um, some sort of anise liqueur that he like it over the top. So like the first sip, would you be like that curious like, huh? Black licorice. Yeah, like confusion. just to throw you off. And black licorice is like a, a flavor that you find in some tiki cocktails, like the Dr. Funk. Um, so it's not out of place. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's definitely. A lot of interesting things going on there Um, And this space, I don't know how much longer We'll actually be there and where we'll go next Mm -hmm. But, you know
1: Well, listeners, if you have a space that's good for a pop-up Feel free to hit us up Preferably haunted We're looking haunted doesn't have to be haunted, but if it it is, it'd be great
3: Another idea for a pop-up that I had Was the Haunted Hotel Mm. Okay I mean, that might be a future venture Or the Coconut Club presents the Haunted Hotel Or just do a whole separate Halloween thing I don't know I think that's a good idea. That would idea. be
0: fantastic.
1: Yeah, because there's all these haunted hayrides and things like that. It's a huge industry, mm-hmm. but I don't care about them because I'm not a kid. <laughs> but if there's a great meal there,
0: I'm on board. Yeah.
1: Suddenly, that's fine. I don't want. To, I don't need to be spooked.
0: I, you know, I haven't gone to the Coconut Club and I've wanted to. Jason told me about it a while ago, um, but you know, without knowing a lot about it, you kind of assume a little bit about kind of the normal tiki culture that you were mentioning not doing. But I love that. Or well, what really excites me, now I want to go ten times more, is that you're not relying on nostalgia. You're intellectualizing it more and playing with it. And mm. that's really, really exciting. Because just as a backdrop, Tiki's fun, but it could go a lot farther, and it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing.
3: Exactly. And um, the biggest part of what has sort of driven this forward is Darren's contribution. And Darren is our like MC host kind of character who guides the diners through the meal. Mm -hmm. And this is another thing that I don't think anyone else is really doing is instead of like, you know, having the chef or the server come out and say, like, oh, well, here is, you know, a carrot tweezered on the plate. Like, (laughs) it's, you know, we have someone who's creating this artificial lore surrounding every dish and drink. And yes... It is in a way overselling some things. I think there was a point in the copy that said <laughs> The Hair that, Bear
0: was oversold a little bit. Yeah, later. no,
3: it was something about like something being the ultimate tiki revelation, and that made Nathan feel very uncomfortable. He's like, Don't oversell it. Don't oversell it. And I'm like, But it's really good. You don't have to worry about it. Like, you know, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, at a certain point, I just want to create this hype in a way around the meal. And we have like, you know, toasts that you have to participate in. So one of the things is, um, I have a paper mache volcano that's rigged with a fog machine that erupts. Um, this is the coolest. Okay, you sorry. have to. I'm not gonna erupt. In order to appease the uh, volcano god Vulcan, um, <laughs> you have to toast with this cocktail. And we have this like ten foot tall uh, tiki sculpture, which was built by your neighbor down the mm-hmm. street. Um, it was great work. And so he built this huge sculpture, and that's the Vulcan sculpture. Everyone has to do this toast to appease him, and the drink is called Lava. It's um, an ice blended drink of mezcal, so it's very smoky, like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sort of conjuring this like fire and smoke idea um, with Campari and a cinnamon syrup and like hibiscus syrup, and Mm. um, there's like a black lava salt on the rim. Oh, and there's grapefruit juice too. Mm. It's uh, and it's that's the cocktail that everyone either of course loves or hates because it's mezcal. Um, and Campari, and Campari, which love is also both. very polarizing. But yeah. so you would clearly love this. Uh, I love Absolutely. Both as yeah. well. But I find Pretty the best part is it. that like it's the most intriguing drink, and it's the least expected in terms of like being like this is a tiki drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and the
0: black salt, I'm imagining, looks like black sand on beaches in Hawaii. Like, exactly.
3: Play, I mean, or
0: or like a volcano. But yeah, that's so. Cool. It seems like I mean because pop up restaurants,
1: especially nowadays in L.A., are Pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. You're kind of like, you're, you're putting a lot of money down and putting a lot of trust in the people doing the event that they're going to give you your money's worth. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like just food alone and drink alone, you guys, far and above and beyond those expectations, like everything that you've described so far sounds insane. But then you also give them this huge production value, which nobody else is doing. Yeah, Like you're making 10 foot sculptures and you're having volcanoes and you have an MC there's so many pop-up things I've been to or restaurants I've been to with, like, tasting prefix menus where, like, the dumb waiter... I mean, pardon the pun. We're
3: talking
0: about an actual uh, closet. Hey, that would
3: be <laughs> pretty awesome. awesome.
1: The, uh, the bummer server will just come and be like, here's your... Here, blah, blah, blah. And you're, like, eating it, and you're like, what is going on here? And, like, if you have any questions or you wonder anything about it, you're just kind of asking your neighbor and you have no idea, but, like, if everyone's eating this thing that has just been invented, nobody's ever had it, and you have a guy on a microphone describing what exactly is going on and hyping it up, getting you excited.
0: It's and so giving awesome. you a narrative to follow is what sounds really exciting yeah, too. Exactly. I mean I'm not a strong one, or I don't I haven't been yet. I'm not saying that it it's a yeah, I mean, front-end
3: story, but it's a loose just narrative just to it. Yeah. And like there's also in between, there's video art projections that are a lot of like not just you know like you know you got like your elvis blue hawaii stuff and we have it all like kaleidoscoped so it's like you know Mm -hmm. elvis going to elvis and like you know hawaiian shirts and stuff but then there's also i mean my favorite clip on the whole like video art reel is a scene from an episode of the golden girls um where blanche goes is dating this guy and the guy won't have sex with her and she's completely baffled why so she rents a really expensive hotel room at this unbelievable tiki hotel that has like a bar that comes out of the wall and a vibrating bed Mm -hmm. and a disco ball that comes down from the ceiling and she's trying to seduce him, but he's just not that, you know, he's just not that easy of a guy. Like he, he doesn't want to have sex that early into dating Blanche. And we love that about him. Exactly. <laughs> at any point, but do, it's you an dose, clip. do you dose anybody with acid at these parties? At any point? <laughs> no, but I think we've, I mean we've had some people who seem kind of coked out at the last <laughs> one <laughs> coming in. You can we've say also, that about any restaurant I mean, in LA, though. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> I can
0: say that about my Seven Eleven in Los Feliz. Yeah, yeah.
3: I mean, like the thing about it is. To me, it's a lot of alcohol that's being served. Yes, um, you're not, really getting your money's worth on the alcohol. Yeah, but I mean, like, it's definitely spaced out over time and with a lot of food. So the feedback that I get is, for the most part, people are tipsy. Like, you get a good buzz, but you're never like drunk. And by the end of the meal, you're <laughs> like, I could drive. Um, which I think is a good thing, but then you have other people, especially from the hardcore rockabilly tiki set, who are probably big drinkers to begin mm-hmm. with. Who are like, "It wasn't enough alcohol. Those drinks were so weak." I brought
0: seven flasks in my jacket. Yeah. Finished them all. Well, yeah,
3: it's if up. you're that kind of guy, then you've already brought your own flask. And yeah, and I mean, the funny part is too is at the beginning we have um, a half hour arrival window because it's L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, where we serve punch and. It, it's free refills, so it's kind of a free for all. There are people who literally have like four cups of punch at the beginning yes. before they even sit down. So like, there is opportunity, and I know yeah. I personally, because I obviously haven't experienced this meal as a diner. Mm-hmm. If I'd ever experienced it, I'm sure I would be pretty drunk at the end of it because that's that's know, just I'm who you more are. Of a yeah. And I'm so. probably the
1: same way. I'm not a lightweight though. I'm just a. Yeah, heavy drinker.
0: I would have had four things of punch. So yeah, I probably. would I think that should be. <laughs> yeah, I would be a four puncher. I would be a four punch guy. I, I mean, feel
1: why like not? your um the sub subline for Coconut Club should be Coconut Club.
3: I could drive. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is like I could drive when you're thinking about drive. liability. <laughs> like good, I I'm always good. put on the email like hey consider taking like an Uber because yeah. there's alcohol involved. Right. But I think that's just like as a disclaimer for me to say like don't get fucking drunk and yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. drive. Yeah. Um but then I've had people like on the feedback survey be like, I wasted all this money on an Uber thinking I'd be wasted. And I'm like, uh, it's a dinner God. party, not like God damn You were
0: still probably <laughs> illegally driving. like you still would have been legal- illegally <laughs> yeah, yeah, driving. Yeah, you home. would
1: have got pulled over your ass. I mean, you, you, yeah. you, I mean how many cocktails do you serve? this event uh,
3: the past we've been doing about five the next one Uh, just five 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 cocktails plenty to
0: blow over and they're (laughs) they're like you know they're tiki so there's like you know lots of alcohol yeah
3: and i mean like they're not all like ginormous but they're at least like a regular serving worth of liquor and it's all hard liquor so like it's
1: yeah and these are all like very thoughtful intricate drinks with high quality ingredients that you would pay $15 for at a bar easily.
3: And i say, I mean, if there were a brick and mortar version, um, the coconut club cocktail would probably have to be $18 because it's served in a whole coconut, which is very labor intensive to open a coconut for every single guest. Um, But I have a streamlined way now that involves power tools.
1: Uh, so you, you use the young coconut or the no a or the full m-
3: mature brown coconut brown? because that's the aesthetic I'm going for. I don't want any of these stupid like chopped up Thai coconuts that you can get <laughs> at the street corner at Alvarado and Glendale from the guy who's so you like you get like, the Hawaiian, like fibrous, like yeah, husky the whole brown. I don't know, so fuck with no
1: fucked up whack ass I Young was,
0: coconuts.
3: I, bullshit.
1: Was
0: ho- I was hoping your new plan involves somebody from Home Depot. You're like, I now have a streamlined version. <laughs> I've got We're an ace at up my sleep. depot about noon before we start. I have a guy come out,
1: give him $10. Bucks you know, I, I
3: thought, I've never used a day laborer from Home Depot, but at this venue, the underside of every single table had at least 30 pieces of gum stuck to it. Uh, and I, I thought for a hot second, I'm like, do I just go down to the street to the Home Depot, give a guy 20 bucks to come scrape gum? like the answer is yes i mean yeah. he wants someone to. someone said it like yeah and it's it's not backbreaking work no it's probably like the easiest job he'll ever get from a home Depot you're not asking that. him something insanely illegal and dangerous
0: like get on my roof without support
3: so i mean but i ended up doing it myself actually while listening to some of your podcasts oh, alone in this yeah. alone in this building in the podcast was the only thing to ward off the ghosts you're never so.
1: alone with itunes it's
3: true I that's mean, the only catch is the internet in this building is also very, like, the phone connection is very spotty. So Genji, get on that shit.
0: You're not going to be able to produce shit out of that office without on, some Wi Fi?
3: No, she'll get some Wi Fi. They think they're still a ways off. They must be putting, like, uh, over a million dollars into running wow. that. I mean, it's like, and that's the problem with this space. Rolling it's the dice, Con. It's such a huge space, and it's. A neighborhood, like basically, the owner said to me when I first looked at the space, they're like, because there's also a 200 seat theater in the building. Holy shit. Wow. So they want someone to come in with a super hipster concept to be like, we've got a a 200 seat venue and a fancy pants restaurant bar. Like the owners basically said, we want like Bestia or something to come in here. And I'm thinking, That's a wonderful fantasy, but MacArthur Park is not the arts district yet. It's actually quite a ways off.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I
1: want
3: a gold toilet,
1: but it ain't gonna happen, (laughs) buddy.
3: Yeah. And that's the thing, is like this space as a restaurant needs like a million dollars of work just to update the electrical and the plumbing, it's all like it's all fucked up. Um, but it's got good bones. No. (laughs) I mean like No, you gotta like gut the whole place, (laughs) totally (laughs) renovate it. And then I think they want something like $20,000 a month for the lease. Um, so like, when you think about it, like trying to do a restaurant concept, which of course most all restaurant concepts fail because mm-hmm. it's like the hardest industry. Like, What are you going to do there? Chipotle. The, the, mega Chipotle. <laughs> the mega Chipotle. The mega
0: Chipotle. The screening Chipotle. With they're, the screening room. They're going
1: to try to sell it for a year and mm. lower the price eventually. And they then... keep
3: telling me that someone's supposedly about to sign. Wow. Never heard that one before from a real estate guy. But that's something I have been thinking about a lot lately is when everywhere you look in LA there are so many places for lease, like commercial spaces. And it just makes you think that LA is only living a fraction of its potential. And it's always like <laughs> go on. Or if you think about like how difficult and expensive it is to get anything started, even if it's just a temporary pop-up thing. Like mm-hmm. the thought of like how expensive and impossible it is to get a restaurant off the ground. And mm-hmm. if you thought it, they weren't that hard or expensive, there's plenty of space for all this stuff. It could, you know... There's a million
1: spaces and a million people with great ideas, but it's not happening as
0: frequently as it should yeah, be. Yeah, the issue is not finding a location. I mean, a good one is expensive, but they there's exist. tons of them, they yeah. Exist.
1: I, I think it's because of LA and California just makes it so difficult to do any of that compared to other places. <clears throat> which we've seen in the entertainment industry where everyone filming in Vancouver other states, or Louisiana. You know, every other state where it's like, You wanna film here? Yeah. Just come on no in no tax. Here you <laughs> do have whatever you want. And yeah. then in California it's like you want to film something here, bend over and take take this check.
3: And it, and I think that it sort of like limits like the kind of restaurants that we end up with because there's so many new places that open and you're like, Oh, a new place. I'm so excited to try it. And then you end up being like disappointed for whatever reason. And I think it's because like it just beats you down so much because you might start with such a great idea and the whole process of it. Like Mm -hmm. when you come out the other end, I feel like there's a lot lost and also with trying to make it profitable. Cause I'll say like doing the coconut club, I approach it, Foolishly, from an art project perspective, right, um, and not from a money making perspective. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah, I was wondering how if how profitable you are in this pop up, considering all the extra production you put yeah, into it. Yeah,
3: at this point, not at all. Okay. Um, but you know, at a certain point, it's like create an idea, create a brand, get people excited about it, yeah. and then it's like Twitter. Yeah. You make it more. I mean, I wish I had, like, you know, that venture funding that a Twitter <laughs> would have, but, you know.
1: Right, right, right. It's uh, like Twitter without any of the money that they give you. Yeah.
3: But we're doing something <laughs> cooler than Twitter.
1: <laughs> that is true.
3: Theoretically. <clears throat> um, but it was interesting. I was just in Detroit a few weeks ago and I went to, like, a new restaurant and it was really good. And I was like, huh, I wonder if it's because. Oh, you're in Detroit. It's so much easier to like put together a restaurant, and mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's not easy, but you wonder if there's a place where there's like fewer restrictions or like difficulties that suddenly your creativity can blossom more. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, it's the it's the story too of um, uh, Ed Moza, the guy who does the the. um am oh, forgetting. Mario Batali. Called? Yeah, no, not Mario Batali, but how they changed all the regulations about making charcuterie in L.A. He oh, had to go through that process through, yeah. before he could actually really do the things he wanted to mm-hmm. from a you know, permitting standpoint in <clears throat> Los Angeles City. And you
3: have to be like Mozart, like actually have the money to get that exactly done. right. Nobody else could do that. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think yeah, being in a different uh, a place like, right? Cheese Spacca.
3: Apparently, I've been corrected by a friend who's actually Italian. He said it's Cheese Spacca.
1: I'm not going to do it. I mean, a lot of, it's technically Los Feliz, but I'm never going to say
3: that. No, exactly. This is, that's <laughs> is the colloquial pronunciation of Los Angeles. Indeed. Yeah. What are you going to do about it?
1: I I, I feel like the thing, like it's so much easier to open a restaurant in, in Detroit um, than in LA or pretty much everywhere else. Everywhere else, except everywhere for New York. York. Except for New York, yeah. But I mean, are you making as much? Like, what other industries do you think? I mean, like, like there's so many industries where opening in a big city like LA or New York will benefit you, but do you think you necessarily need to be in a place like LA or New York or another major city to fully thrive as a restaurant? Like, are they doing well for Detroit? I mean, it had just
3: opened a couple weeks ago, and it was like a Sunday night, and it was definitely not packed. Right. Uh, I mean, even
1: if they are. And having good business Like are they Are they actually Making enough money Like making A really good Profit Who
3: knows I have no idea Who <laughs> but knows like, is right
1: But I'm, I'm I'm just curious Like if If your restaurant Is successful For those standards Compared to Other standards, uh, standards Right
3: But I mean You think about it Like how to be successful on like LA standards, and then, of course, there are places that are just rolling in the money like mm-hmm. crazy because they figured out a business model that works. Um, but then you know, there's so many places that you think, yeah. like, how do you actually? I'm, I'm
1: wondering, like, how relative it is because, like, in LA, like you have to make so much money to survive and live here because the cost of living is so high. Mm-hmm. Whereas, can you have that same level of happiness and success in a place like Detroit? Because you're making less money, but you need less money to be, quote-unquote, happy and successful.
3: Correct. So I think, to a certain extent, yeah, their profit margin could probably be slimmer than Mm -hmm. here. Because, I mean, the menu prices were very comparable to what you would pay in L.A. Mm. I didn't feel like I got ripped off because the quality was really high. But then you can imagine, like, okay, their food costs are probably a really high percentage, and if you had that percentage food costs at your restaurant in LA, you'd probably go under really right. fast. Um, whereas
1: their rent is probably nothing compared. to I mean, to LA. theoretically,
3: but it, even in Detroit, like, as you get into downtown now, like, the rents mm-hmm. are getting a lot higher. And I have a lot of friends who like live there, and they have a lot of like good things and bad things to say about it. And I think it's a very interesting, you know, look a very interesting american city to look at for so many reasons <laughs> yep it is absolutely
1: i think it's i think it's uh it's become america's playground right now for the young and uh mischievous america's playground is <laughs> detroit now for for the mischievous people like i know like it used to be San you know, Francisco. Parties there and stuff. Yeah, it used to be like San Francisco in like the late nineties was kinda you can go there and do whatever and mm-hmm. the cops don't really care. Like right. you can go, you know, drink in the street and yep. paint graffiti and have a big party outdoors and no one's gonna give a shit and all that stuff. And then it's changed over and I feel like Detroit is a new version of it where if you're a twenty one year old hoodlum and you wanna go do whatever you want. You can do that in Detroit.
0: Detroit, I will see you soon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which also means, you know, there's a lot of creative people heading yeah, there because sure. it's yeah, cheap yeah. and you, the sky's the limit. There's no
0: restrictions. It, it fosters. But then at the
3: same yeah. time, you do have a lack. You don't have as much creative energy as a city like L.A. or New York or mm-hmm. whatever would actually give you. And I think it's... You have it's, a smaller audience of people. You have who, a smaller audience. Like, doing, if I tried right? to do the Coconut Club in Detroit... And tried to charge the same amount of money that we you've charge. charged Well, I mean, like, yeah. been <laughs> robbed during dinner. <laughs> yeah. You've been held but at the gunpoint like it's a fucking poker game. We have a lot harder time selling tickets, I would imagine. Although, there's another theory to say about Tiki. Um, there used to be this amazing Tiki Palace in Columbus, Ohio, called the Kahiki. And it was a, I think it was built in
1: 1969. What is a, what is a palace?
3: Um, it's a ginormous restaurant like um, two
0: story probably.
3: No, it was a, a giant a giant a-frame with like actual tropical plants and huge fish tanks and live tropical birds flying around and uh, multiple uh, bars uh, and a giant fountain and like so it, I
1: would ask the difference between a restaurant a tiki restaurant and a tiki palace but I think you just answered Yeah, we it. just
3: answered it. Um right. and I just read this whole book about it cuz it's in 2000 was torn down and Walgreens built a store there instead. Um, um but It's, uh, and one of our, uh, one of our recent, one of our recent patrons at the coconut club grew up in Columbus and said that he would used to go there all the time as a kid. Um, but there was this whole argument about in the Midwest that tiki bars were such a huge escapist thing, especially in the winter. And when you have Mm -hmm. a cold freezing ass depressing winter and you can go somewhere where you walk in and it's like tropical paradise and they give you all these rum drinks. Yeah. Like, it's very appealing. So it makes you wonder, like, if we were to do Coconut Club in New York, would February be the right time to do it? Because people right. would probably be like, oh, hell yeah, I'm on mm-hmm. board with that. Like,
1: Well, that makes me ask, looking back at last year's sales reports, for lack of a better word, <laughs> do you do better in the winter month? I guess it's different for you guys, since you guys sell out every single time. Yeah. But, like, I mean, do you find that, like, the... You do better, or people enjoy it more? Maybe during the the winter months of LA. Maybe I mean we were doing it it, um, 62
3: when we were doing it Sunny's Hideaway in Highland Park um, because we used to do it there when they're closed on Mondays. We were doing it outside on the back patio for the first few times we did it there, and then it started getting cold, and we made the mistake of continuing to do it outside even Mm. though it was cold, and that pissed off a lot of people. Lesson lesson well learned. Yeah, don't. Don't go outside when it's cold. <laughs>
1: <laughs> pro tip for all of our yeah, listeners out there. Well, one, one thing that I wanted to ask about that, the, the whole process of doing a pop-up shop versus a restaurant that's open seven days a week or whatever, six days a week, is what you every time you do a full service one day, mm-hmm. you learn a zillion things. Of course. Um when With an actual restaurant you get to take everything you learned and implement it the, next, the day. next day Yeah, and then for if you're doing it monthly Every time you must be so frustrated like oh my god I just screwed up these ten different things. I would have totally done differently and if you had a restaurant You would just change everything and then tomorrow everything will be all better mm. But then you have to wait a, a full 30 months and then you get the comments coming back and everyone you know everyone is telling you how you screwed up and you know it, and, yep. you, and you, is that frustrating to not be able to do anything about it? It is. It,
3: it definitely is frustrating because it feels like. I mean, we had had some repeat customers, but for the most part, it's like here's your one shot to impress people, and you have to make sure. that first impression. And like, you know, there are certainly things that people don't notice that go wrong, and then there are things that people obviously notice because, you know, mm-hmm. everyone's a critic. When I go out to eat, I think about. Yeah, you know, like, oh, this could be better, this could 100%. be better. 100%. Like, all the time. It's what you do. And it's not anything, like, negative to throw hate towards anyone, because you realize that when you do it, that it's so much harder to do than it looks.
1: Yeah. Like, it's like making a movie or something. Everyone's a critic. Yeah. Nobody and, can make them.
3: It's like, exactly. And theoretically, like, it should be easy to do this. But when you have 500 other things going on,
0: mm-hmm. like,
3: it's not. And that's just how it is. Um, so it definitely is frustrating to, like, have to think like okay, we got to wait a month to like actually implement these changes, but in a lot of ways, it's good because it gives us time to reformulate what we're doing, mm-hmm. um, and particularly in like menu and how things flow and whatnot is like how can we change things up? How can we make it smoother? Because um, timing is always the biggest challenge. Is like at a restaurant, you know, you're putting out maybe six plates at most at a time. In a pop up, you have to put out you know over thirty of the same thing at the same time, mm-hmm. like all you know, like playing is a whole different game. It's like a, it's like doing like a wedding or something. Yeah. And
1: how how many people? How many employees do you guys have working under you during a full service?
3: I, we have about like seven or eight people working with us mm-hmm. during the service, I think. Um, and that's the other tricky thing too is like with a restaurant, you hire a staff and you have that staff. And yeah. With a pop up. You have to like go to your friends who work in restaurants and be like, Hey, are you off on Saturday night? Because I want you to come work at my papa. And then
1: they say, No, of course not. It's Saturday night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So
3: that's always the tricky thing is like we have some staff that are consistent, but like it's oftentimes like changing and then there's no time for a training period. Mm-hmm. So it's basically just like five minutes before service, being like, "Okay, this, this, and this is gonna happen, so be ready for it." <laughs> and then, like, kind of like having to like wrangle all the servers up every time we're ready to send out a new course, and like, right, right, right. it's like a lot of things to like coordinate that you just don't have time to do because you're not a permanent restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the same thing with the kitchen staff too. It's like. You know, we're presenting, like, a new dish. It's not, like, something that we've, like, practiced every day and every right. day. It's, like, kind of on the fly. Like, this is what we're doing. Go. Do you, and, do you have, like, a top five,
0: top ten of lessons learned over... You're getting now near on a dozen, I think, Yeah.
3: services, right? I mean, lessons learned. Well, one of the big lessons learned is as much as I Don't love-
0: let rockability people bring their stand-up basses <laughs> to yeah.
2: dinner.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and- <laughs> um, is the personal poo-poo platter, which was a thing that I loved to death. It was this course we used to have in the middle where you get this board covered with a banana leaf, and each board has a tiny tiki torch that burns in the corner, and there's three different items on it. But that's the problem with plating three different dishes at once for that many people, is it takes forever. And no matter how many times I said, next time I'm going to do it better, next time I'm going to do it better, it would always take forever. Mm. So I am finally... Letting to go, let it go. Of it. gotta let it go. It was a good idea. It was a good concept in theory, but when you actually have to execute it for you know twenty-five to forty people at once, it's like.
1: So forty people are each getting their own P.
3: Yeah, that's what happened at the last event. We we tried to do it for forty <laughs> people, and I was like, I'm going to die. <laughs> um, and
1: that's right in the middle of service. What yeah. was on that platter?
3: The most recent one we you did. Got in your um, <laughs> the first, Tell me about that though. The, the, the most recent one we did, cause it's changed from time to time that I've done it. Um, the, the first item is the rumaki toast and rumaki is this weird tiki food that I don't actually even like where you take, you marinate a chicken liver, you pair it with a water chestnut from a can and you wrap it in bacon and you bake it. Mm. Um, wow. wow.
1: That is the most. 1950s.
3: Sounds very I've 50s. Ever heard my life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sure. So I thought, like, okay, water
0: chestnut. What is this exotic ingredient <laughs> from a so can. exotic.
3: So I do like a rumaki toast, which is like a little brioche toast that has um, a chicken liver pate that has like those rumaki flavors of soy sauce and ginger and coconut sugar and, and shallots in there. And then, Mm. um, so we have the pate Mm -hmm. crispy bacon and then instead of water chestnut, I do fresh jicama because it's very similar, but it's not from a, not a canned water chestnut being elevating. (laughs) (laughs) And then, um, in the middle we have the coconut chicken wing, which is, I make this like Indonesian style curry paste. Um, and then mix it with coconut milk and braise these chicken wings and then batter them in rice flour and deep fry them. Um, so there's that. Mm. And then we had a duck confit egg roll that was deep fried in duck fat with a tamarind sauce.
0: Yeah. Got to step away from the mic. Yeah. Woo! <laughs>
3: So that was the most recent. So that's one platter. course
0: out of many. Yeah. I mean, if if people listening can even imagine. But I mean the, the, the tiny tiki
3: torch is really the, the the center of that because if you imagine the and it's a dangerously modified birthday candle, so it burns <laughs> like for serious. <laughs> um, but if you Super serial <laughs> burns, guys. You can imagine an entire like all these like we have like three big tables full of all these flickering tiki torches at yeah. once. It's like the most exciting happy birthday candle you'll ever see. So no
1: wonder why you keep trying to make it work.
3: I know. Well, my thing this time is I'm going to use the platter and the torch for just the plating for dessert because the birthday candle should go with dessert. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to waste that even though it I have to, like, hand make all these tiki torches and, like, but I just do it while, mm. you know, watching trash TV or something. like <laughs> Some discovery ID.
1: That's the beauty of working freelance, is yeah. you can do all of this stuff, and you don't have to sit in a boring kitchen. I mean,
3: my favorite trash TV right now is Bar Rescue. That's... I
1: was just watching, or I read something about the Bar Rescue guy I went to, he redid a place downtown LA, mm. and then they had, they just, it was their biggest renovation, and they just closed down recently, mm. like, it was the, his biggest flop.
3: Yeah. Well, that's what makes the show so good. It's like it's Restaurant Impossible or Kitchen Nightmares, except it involves alcoholics because they're owners of bars. <laughs> <laughs> so it just makes the equation so much more.
1: And the guy from Bar Rescue is so weird looking to me. Oh yeah, and he, he loves like to a, yell. He looks. He look, Yeah, he's a yeller, but he looks like the guy on Ninja Turtles, like the <laughs> Koopa Troopa kind guy of guys, like the guys with the huge broad shoulders and the small like turtle head
0: thing. He has that feel. <laughs> But the live-action the live-action the live-action live super mario that. brother movie i think I'm, i may maybe. i maybe maybe. Think but yeah that. that's a very yeah good i think i am
1: thinking of the live-action mario yeah. movie oh fuck um speaking of food network and all that stuff do you have any aspirations for doing some television food hosting of any type
3: uh yeah <laughs> i was yes. right, great yeah. answer yeah I, I actually did audition for a show that's still in limbo, <laughs> okay, but not a competition show, just like a, a hosting thing. Hmm. They came to me; it was the weirdest thing.
1: Fingers crossed. What? That's not weird. Yeah, fingers crossed, and not weird at all. Why it's is
0: there a coconut club.
3: Was We've like, seen these guys you are are on Vice
1: Munchies hosting and, sl- yeah. and slaying.
3: I mean, that was that was always that was interesting, especially to read like you know the YouTube comments. From, oh, don't like, do that. Never read the comments. <laughs> don't do that. No, I know, but they're entertaining because they're from like crazy fourteen-year-olds. So You're your feelings were not hurt at all. The what?
1: Your feelings didn't get hurt at all. No, they did. They totally. Did. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> never read the YouTube. Never comments. read the YouTube comments. Just never. Just straight up. Never do it. It's never going to be a good thing.
0: I
3: know. I just I can't th- can't resist.
0: Right, it's true. It's sitting there. Blooding right for pun. Well, you're checking those. How many hits it's happening? You see that first line of, of right below. Yeah, never do a scroll down. You can look. Yeah, see how many hits Once you click to
3: say "Show More,"
0: you're in
1: trouble. Mm. You it. So it might be like a Food Network show hosting something. Mm. That's all we can say. We have an NDA. Mm.
3: I mean, yeah. I mean, like I, I haven't heard from them in a couple months, so it's probably. <laughs> just, it's one of those things where like, oh, we're talking with the network. The network, the network, still likes it. Oh, the network loves you, mm-hmm. but you know it's just—it's just you know we're waiting to hear back from the network.
1: Well, I think you would be a great food television host. I second that. You've got no, it all. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Great job. Um, well, we're gonna wrap things up. Thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. Thanks nice um, for having me. Of course.
3: So the Coconut Club this month is sold out. Sold out. But it will be back. Saturday and Sunday, both sold out? Both sold out. Um, But... I was hoping
0: Sunday tickets were still on sale. I saw there might be a few floating around.
3: Yeah, sadly. Filled up. Filled up. up. All right, people. Sunday filled up after Saturday. No surprise. Right, of course. um, But we'll hopefully be doing it again very soon. So if you get on our mailing list at Mm -hmm. thecoconutclubla.com, that is how you find out. Great. Um, And don't delay when they go on sale. Don't delay. They just go away quickly
1: they really do and for good reason um well people where can people find you online if they want to uh i am at
3: wind attack on twitter and instagram
1: (laughs) one of my favorite pokemon moves (laughs) exactly (laughs) at wind attack on social media yes and your website's just andy Windac.com.
3: Yeah, but I mean... But no reason to go there. No reason to go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. It's sort of like my defunct food blog, windhack.com, which Mm. still exists, but not like I touched it in...
1: We all have a defunct blog somewhere.
3: That's fine. Yeah, the age of blogging is over. You heard it here first.
1: That's what Instagram food pics are for. Exactly. Great. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Andre Conaparo has no social media. I have none. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff, at themjeans. And if you like this show, please be a friend and tell a friend, a different friend. Um, subscribe on iTunes. Nice rating and review is all we ask. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye, bye. Bye.
3: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps>